Thanks, Nathan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bethany. It's good to be here. I've been away a couple of weeks speaking at different conferences. Always good to be back at Bethany here within the walls to share, and as well online. Thank you so much for joining us as we worship together. We're continuing a series concerning parables, and this parable that we look at this morning, as many of the parables are for those who grew up in the church, is rather familiar, but I would suggest very poignant and timely for us as we consider what does it mean to be invited uh, to the banquet. And I would just give you a hint, it's probably not what you just think from a cursory reading. So let's pray, look at, ask for understanding, and then we'll study together. Father, would you meet us now at this table as we uh, approach uh, communion here at the end, asking that you would be our teacher, Father, and that, that we would be shaped to be people of hope in our world, people of hospitality, because we've received hospitality for you, actively participating in this feast to which we're invited. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. On Friday nights, uh, I, my wife and I listened to David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart uh, on uh, PBS NewsHour as they go back and forth, a view from the left and the right. And David Brooks was articulating recently that there's this kind of panoply of problems in our culture, social ails, all of which have kind of one thing in common at the bottom. He talks about increase in incidences of road rage and mass shooting and domestic violence and attempted suicides. He notes that the percentage of Americans that say nobody knows me well is now 54% up dramatically in the last 10 years. Uh, and he then goes on to say, you know, at the heart of, these appear to be kind of wildly different problems, but at the heart, everything's the same. There's a loss of social cohesion. And what he means by that simply is this, people are lonely, and people are, as we know, right? And, and, and so then, uh, this sort of thinking, as I was preparing for this week, about Americans and our eating habits. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the amount of meals that Americans eat alone is also on the rise. Now, I'm just going to note here at the outset, some of you are single, so eating alone is not intended as a condemnatory statement, right? I'm not condemning anybody who eats alone. But when we look at it as, as a social uh, indicator, it's now uh, approximately, on average, seven and a half meals every American takes alone, and then worst of all, what's rising really quickly is the amount of meals that we eat alone in our car. That is pathetic, right? <laughs> like uh, many of us are guilty. I know I'm guilty. Just last week, my chainsaw had broken. I live in the mountains. I drove down to Issaquah. I needed to get it fixed. Uh, and then I wanted to get home, and I was eager when I got home to do wood cutting, and I and I don't eat breakfast usually, so I was really hungry by the time I got down there. And I just stopped at Burger King and, and got a Whopper and onion rings. And I'm driving back up the mountain, and I'm chomping, and I'm disgusted with myself, even at the moment, right? Like, French people don't do that, right? People, people who really love food don't do that. It had become for me a, like a, a transaction. Time for calories, and I'm going to multitask and, and do something at the same time as I eat so that I can squeeze more into my day. This is kind of the American way. Well, uh, in contrast to that, uh, one of the most beautiful illustrations in my own experience of what I view the kingdom of God to be 
is these experiences that uh, my wife and I had eight years ago right now. It was eight years ago in July that we began our hut-to-hut hiking in the Alps. And um, you, I can describe it to you, but no words can ever do it justice. You really need to be there. But what's beautiful is you, you come in from the cold, and I'll speak more about that in a moment, but you come in, and in the best huts, uh, there's a host or hostess that greets you. They take your name. Uh, you're on a list if you made a reservation, but they take your name, and then they often give you something to drink, and then you go and you find where you're going to sleep, and then you change your clothes, and maybe you shower, maybe you don't, but then uh, you come back, and it looks like this when you come to eat, right? You're, you're at a table with other people that you've never met, but you have this bond in common, and the thing that you have in common is you all love the mountains. You, I mean, you just do, right? That, otherwise, you wouldn't be hiking hut to hut. So uh, I can't look at this picture without seeing the faces of you know, all four of those people, we sat at the table for a long, long time, far beyond the food, right? You eat and you talk, and you talk, and you talk. In particular, Klaus, who was in his 70s, had come from where my wife and I were heading the next day. And the next day we knew from our guidebook was going to be the most challenging day in terms of kind of vertical feet ascended. Just the title of the hike, the day of seven summits will tell you what it is, right? You know, up and down, gaining about 12,000 vertical or something like that in one day, and exposed ladders, cables, 2,000 foot drop-offs. I love that stuff, my wife not so much, and, and so Klaus was trying to comfort my wife by, sh- he pulled out his camera and showed us all, like he took 200 pictures on that, on that 14 mile hike, and he was going through pictures, and then we hiked the next day with Birgit and Jurgen, and Jonathan was the only other American in the building, so he got seated with us as well, and we talked about American politics, he's from Ohio, all good, all good, all good. So uh, we just had a wonderful time, and I will remember forever those people and that experience, and it, to me, was kind of a, a snapshot of the kingdom of God. Why? Because we're all different, different nations, different skin color, different economics, different political views, but we share one thing in common, our love for the mountains. This is the kingdom of God, right? That, that great feast spoken of in Isaiah 25 will be a lot of different people who don't look like us, think like us, pray like us, vote like us, process the world like us, spend like us, but we all share this, Christ, man, that's it. That'll be, that'll be amazing. So that kind of frames what we're talking about today. And my thesis statement is simple. Christ followers must feast, must feast. We're called to feast. And we're called in a sense, as we'll see, to be both the guest and the host. So the context of the parable that Nathan read is uh, Jesus is at a banquet and he sees some people at the banquet vying to sit close to the honorary guests. And if you've been to a wedding where there's a front table, then you know how this works, right? Front table, and then kind of the coolest people, it seems, get to sit closest to the front table, and then the pastor is at the back table. That's the way it works. I'm not bitter because I've been to counseling. It's all fine. It's all, it's all good. Uh, but that, so that's the kind of situation there. And then Jesus says, hey, when you go to a banquet, don't 
you know, seek the place of honor, but sit in the back and let people call you up. Right? It's very practical. And it's Proverbs 27, let another praise you, not your own lips. Really practical and for business and a bunch of things. But that's a different sermon. Then uh, he, he speaks to us next, not as guests, but hosts. And he says, hey, when you're the host, don't invite people on the basis of what you might get from them, basically. He says, don't invite just people who will invite you back. Don't just invite people, if you're a real estate salesman, who are looking for property. That's silly. Invite people graciously, kind of this lavish grace. In other words, don't have a transactional mindset when, when, you, when you throw a party. Carry that mindset into your hospitality, into your generosity. Why? Because this is how God treats you. Uh, receiving gifts from our creator is not transactional. We're all breathing air right now, along with people who are driving by along with people who voted differently than you, along with every human. We're all breathing air. We're all drinking water. We're all, uh, we, all, we all have access you know, to the beauty of creation. It's, it's for everybody. It's freely, freely, freely given. The grace of God that sustains us every minute of every day is given to all of humanity. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. That, by the way, is not a pejorative statement. In Seattle, we think it's about God's judgment. It's not. No, 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 the rain, like if you live in Fresno, that's good news. The rain falls on everybody. So here's what we're saying. God's freely given to you, not for what he can get from you. So live that way. And then someone at this party, which is predominantly seminary students and religious leaders, someone stands up and says, hey, won't it be great when we're all eating bread of the kingdom of God? And that statement it's what Jesus responds to. So you got to understand the statement. Here's what the guy's saying. Won't it be great when we in this room are together and everyone else has been destroyed? We the insiders. Man, I can't wait for that, right? Where well, the holy people can gather and celebrate that we're holy, that we fought the fight, that we endured, you know, that now we got the crown. We're in, they're out, we're up. They're down, we're right, they're wrong. Won't that be awesome? Because then we'll be with people who what? Look like us, think like us, pray like us, vote like us, worship like us. That's going to be amazing. And then Jesus tells a story at that point. And the point of the story essentially is this. He said, hey, be careful what you wish for because I'm not sure you're in is what he's essentially saying. So we got to get into this now, and it's, it shows up in three acts. And act one is the invitation where the master says, hey, come, everything's ready now. So everybody, people have already received an invitation, but they don't, it's an invitation, there's going to be a party, and they don't know the date, right? Then a servant is sent out because there's not email yet, and he goes from house to house, to everybody who has an invitation, and he says, hey, uh, today's the day. The banquet is now, right? So this is like a, a parable that Jesus is saying, and the point is pretty clear. When, look, if I'm inviting you to a meal, and I say, hey, you want to come? And you're like, yes. And I come back and say, hey, it's now. You know, we've got reservations at Duke at 1139, so now, what does that mean? 
That means if you want to eat with me, you got to drop what you're doing and come now. And drop what you're doing is a euphemism for what theologically we call repent. Because repent simply means this. I, I move from this that is occupying me toward this that is the invitation. I move from what's occupying me toward this. So what is, this is the parable of what Jesus said in Mark 1.15. Repent and believe the gospel. Why? The kingdom is here. Boom. So that's, you know, the good news is the kingdom is here now. It's here. Like, I, I get it. The world is broken. But in the midst of that brokenness, there are these, like, pockets of wholeness. In the midst of shattered lives, there are reconciled lives. In the midst of greed, there's moments of generosity. In the midst of all kinds of disease, there are both healers and healing. In the midst of fear, there's courage. In the midst of anxiety, there's peace. I'm telling you, the kingdom is here, and I'm asking you to leave, you know, the fear and the greed and the worry and all this stuff and move into this kingdom because it's here when? Not tomorrow, now. And if you're going to be in it, you, that's you and me, we must move. Oh, yeah, you know, I moved when I was six. I signed a card, came forward. Then I got baptized when I was seven. I'm in. That's not what this is about at all. It's not a question of your eternal destiny in this moment. It's a question of your right now. Now is the key word. Is, are you participating in the work that God is doing in the world of bringing hope and healing and justice and restoration in this exact moment, 2022? Because that, the, hey, the meal is on. So leave this and come to that. Again, for me, this, this is so beautifully illustrated by hiking the Alps. Because when you hike here, I was just talking to my friends who have been climbing like crazy people all summer, you know, summiting mountains, and there are no huts around here. This is wild country. Europeans come here precisely because there are no huts. They, I talk to them, and they're like, I want to see a bear. And I want to encounter fear, you know? <laughs> and all I get in the Alps is schnapps and schnitzel, man. <laughs> so, so, you know, I want to be over here where it's wild, right? Okay, good for you. I'm going to Europe because I like schnapps and schnitzel both, right? Um, but the, but the, kind of the point of the, of the moment here is to say, when I, when I went to hiking the Alps, I was obsessed with uh, minimalist um, backpacking. And some of you know what I mean by that. You get the ultralight gear and that kind of thing. And I got as light, as light, as light as I thought I could. And I, I actually underprepared for the weather in Austria, which was kind of the, it was the wettest and coldest summer in 50 years or something ridiculous like that. So I'm underdressed, and I thought I'd bought a wicking shirt, but I'm not a detailed person. I didn't read carefully. Uh, it's reverse wicking. It actually, instead of transporting sweat away from your body, it holds it to your body. It's designed for marathons in Las Vegas. And I'm wearing it in the Alps, and it's 38 degrees and raining and windy, and then I have on this other thing that is not repellent, and I, of course, didn't bring my Gore-Tex thing because it weighed nine ounces. So forget that. Umbrella, no. Gore-Tex, no. So early on in the hike before we bought more gear, I was freezing. And on this particular day, to the point where this shirt is, when I got into the hat, I had to wring it out. And 
I'm, my speech is getting slurred. I'm hypothermic. So that to me, me in that moment is a picture of the kingdoms of this world. In other words, listen, the world we live in right now, pretty stormy, wouldn't you say? Right? Economic storms, political storms, uh, storms uh, regarding, you know, war in Ukraine. There's this domination model that is at the root of, you know, racism and the increasing gap between the rich and the poor and dysfunctional families. And within those dysfunctional families is, you know, domestic violence and sexual abuse and emotional abuse and religious abuse. And then people are carrying that abuse and the pain of that abuse in their bodies and they're self-medicating with, you know, pornography and drugs and alcohol and it, and then, and, and then they're, they're reacting to their pain with violence, and they go buy a gun, and they kill people. This is our world. Stormy is a good word. So we're, we're in the midst of these storms, and many of us in personal storms, economic, medical, emotional, physical, social, spiritual. In this world of storms, everyone has been given this kind of narrative that we call in the, in, the, in the United States the great American dream, but it's really the Western dream. It includes Europe and Canada and lots of places in the world. And, and the idea is, hey, work hard. And what does that mean? Strive, strive, strive. Strive education, strive physically, strive for the perfect body, strive for the perfect spouse, raise the perfect children, get them into the perfect schools, gain your upward mobility, shelter your assets, diversify your assets, build walls around your life so that nothing can ever harm you, and that's it, boom, you win. No, you don't. You live in a constant storm if that's the narrative you're going after. Now listen, don't mishear me. We buy and sell. We send our kids to school. We hope we get married. If you're married, I hope you hoped you got married. <laughs> Wasn't an accident. You know, we, ho we, we have this, our, this, we live in this world, but our citizenship, we, these are not our storms. Because we have a whole other, like there's a banquet over here that is my homepage and my soul. And I'm invited to that banquet to continually feast on Christ. So here's these storms, and then in contrast to those storms, Romans 14, 17, and 18, which says the kingdom of God is, you know, justice and mercy and peace and righteousness and reconciliation and hope and generosity. So there's these kind of two competing narratives going on, and, and the thing is, we are never invited to be defined by what goes on in the storm. That's not who I am. I have to go outside I live in storms, but this, this is my, Christ is my shelter, my hut. So that's the banquet. You know, justice, reconciliation, forgiveness, hope. What could be better? And again, for me, the best illustration of this is this day when I was hypothermic I'm, you know, I'm shivering, and my, and, and, you know, my wife had packed properly and was perfectly warm, and, and to begin with, I'm faster hiking, and she's slower, and now I'm trying to be nice as a husband and be with her, even though I want to move faster to get body heat, and she's doing what she does, which is pay attention to every living thing on the trail. Oh, look at the salamander. I wonder where that came from. And does he have family members nearby? Let's go back a little bit and see. And, you know, on and on. 
And, and I'm like, really? And then we turn a corner, I see the smoke of the chimney of the hut. And I'm like, talk to yourself, baby. I'm out of here. And I, you know, and I went. And I went to the hut. And it's, as soon as you walk in, this is the view. Watch it. Look at this. And I'm like this. <laughs> this is the way life is supposed to be. Someone greets me. Oh, you're cold. Here, I'm going to get a hot cocoa. You real quick, go upstairs. Take that stuff off. Put on whatever you have left in that minimalist bag of yours. Come down. Um, and you have a hot cocoa. And then, you know, once you're done with the cocoa, uh, if you need any other thing, you, you know, we've got, we've got hot food and this and this and this. And, and, and really quickly, I move from the storms of this world to shelter. And I'm like this. You know, we're made to stop there. We're, 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 yes. It's a stormy world. Repent. Like, come inside. Joni Mitchell has this beautiful old song. All we ever wanted was to come in from the cold. I love that song. She's talking about how, you know, how the world we live in is a world of striving and posturing and body image and, you know, popularity and, and economic security and f- for her, you know, fame. And she's like, all I ever wanted was a few friends who knew me well and loved me uh, I just wanted to come in out of the striving and fighting and fear and anxiety and posturing that is behind the veil of the American dream. Yeah, that's the invitation. Hey, banquet's ready. Come now. But you got to leave this behind. Well, second then, we see the rejection of the invitation. Now remember, these are insiders who in their own estimation already have a place at the table And yet, in spite of their own self-perceived identity as insiders, kind of the worthy ones, when it comes time to leave the storm and come in from the cold and, you know, eat at the banquet, they have reasons why they're not going to go to the banquet. So they make excuses. Excuses are really dangerous in our lives. Why? Because an excuse is a way for me to convince myself that I actually want to be at the banquet, even though I I never show up. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like an excuse paints me in a kinder light than reality. Because reality is I'm not at the banquet. So we say things that make us convince ourselves that we want to be at the banquet, even though we're not at the banquet. Peter Drucker, business guy, he said, tell me what you think you value and I might believe you, but show me your calendar and your bank statement and I'll tell you what you believe. Because the proving ground isn't what we say we want. The proving ground is how we, how we live our lives. And, uh, you know, the rationale for excuses can be to convince ourselves that we're holier than we are. Well, I really want to be at the banquet, but, you know, this or this or this. We'll get into the excuses in a minute. But that's really dangerous because the subtext then is, as soon as I fix these things, then I'll come to the banquet. And what Jesus is saying is, Hey, the banquet is what? Now, so drop what you're doing and begin to participate in the story of hope that God is writing in the world. Don't wait till you fix yourself. Don't wait till the storm ends. Don't wait till you have enough, are enough. Now, cut to the banquet. Leave this behind. Come in from the cold. Now, the other reason that we make excuses sometimes is because we actually don't even want to go to the banquet. 
and we're kind of grateful that we have other obligations, right? I mean, there have been times in my life, I will confess to you, when I didn't want to go, particularly in high school, I didn't want to go to these family functions because I didn't like going to my family functions for reasons that I won't share because you're not my therapist, so forget it. I'm just going to say to you, I didn't like family functions. So uh, from January to March every year, I was in this New Orleans jazz band as the drummer that played for the minor league ice hockey team in Fresno, California. So every other weekend, I had a perfect out, and I got to skip family functions. And then I would say to my family, oh, I'd really like to be there, but I got to go play, which was a total lie. Because the, the other side of my brain was saying, oh, thank you, Fresno Falcons, for playing this weekend, because I don't have to go to this thing, right? So excuses can be used to kind of um, make us appear more desirous of participation than we actually are. Both are wrong, and here's the excuses in this case. All the excuses in this case are transactional. I bought a cow, I bought land, I just got married. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is not about transactions. We've already said that. It's about freely giving and receiving. It's about grace. It's about shalom, which means enough for everyone at the table but here I am in my transaction, my world of buying and selling and upward mobility and posturing and, you know, sphere of influence and big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs or whatever you want to call them, and, you know, management protocol and peer performance reviews and 180 reviews and 360 reviews. I'm waiting for 720 reviews. They're coming right down the pike, you know. Everybody's going to review it twice, once at 8 a.m., once at 5, whatever. It's all good, all good, all good. It's not the real world. This is more real. This is the kingdom which can never, ever be shaken. Who cares? I mean, I don't mean who cares, but elections will come and go. Democracies will come and go. Economies will come and go. So fine, you know, vote, invest, but whatever happens here, this is your reality over here. Live there. That's all Jesus is saying. Live with the confidence that you are part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. You're, you're here, and then in God's ideal world, you hear the call and you go, ah, okay. I, this is going to be my foundational reality. This is like, this is the Taco Bell commercial, right? You're here, if you've seen it, you're on the beach, you make eye contact with the lovely lady, you kind of motion, she comes over, you pick up your guitar, you start playing Spanish romance music, She's beautiful. You're getting really excited, you know, about post-music stuff, whatever's going to come next. And then there's this gong that goes off that represents Taco Bell. And then she just stands up and says, gotta go. And she goes to Taco Bell. And then, of course, I think the phrase even is, when you gotta go, you gotta go, or something like that. Or when it's time for a taco, now's the time. Whatever it is, boom, she's out of here. That's the invitation, right? That bell is so compelling, so beautiful, so right, so eternal, so unshakable. Why would I ever find my identity here when I'm invited to this? So that's the deal. And we're invited then to this, this banquet where 
it says in Isaiah 25, the beauty of this banquet, that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food, age wine, best wine, best meat. He'll swallow up death forever, wipe every tear from every face, remove disgrace from God's people over all the earth. God has spoken. And our response, no. We can't come to this place of healing, receiving grace and abundance because we're too deeply embedded in the world of buying and selling and upward mobility. Yes, we go to church. Yes, we signed a card. Yes, we got baptized. But my deepest, most profound identity, what keeps me awake at night is, you know, whether I'm going to preserve the kingdom that I built for my ego. No. (laughs) This is killing you. You're hypothermic spiritually. Come in from the cold. Get a new identity. So who does come in from the cold? Well, that's act three. Who comes? The master of the house said, hey, go out and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant does. He says, hey, there's still some seats at the table. Then go get anyone you can. Because I, God, all I want to do is give shelter and schnapps and schnitzel and fellowship and dancing and rejoicing. That's my character. Whoever comes, they're in. All I got to do is show up. Now, it does say the master's angry at the people who didn't come. And he is angry. But it's not, it doesn't specifically say he's angry at the people who didn't come. We make that assumption. I know who he ultimately, the, the master is angry at. He's angry at the system and, 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 and the satanic delusion that's behind it that has changed the price tags to make all of us think that the size of our TV and whether our seats are heated on our car and whether we have a Tesla or not defines us in no No, no way is that a reality. No one cares. And you're going to die anyway, no matter how warm the seat is. So so look at this. Live here. Sure, buy a Tesla or whatever. Get rich. It's fine. He's not condemning that. He's saying, where is your identity? What, what gives you a sense of security and peace so that you can live as a person of generosity and yourself become a host, freely giving? It's only here, not here. That's the message. Everything's passing away except feasting on Christ. So who comes? Well, the people who know they're hungry. This is AA. This is the guy who knows he has PTSD because... He has to leave the, the house with his wife and kids on the 4th of July because of what happened in Afghanistan in 2012. This is a person who lost their support network through divorce or abuse. This is a person who, you know, actively seeks friendship and support. This is a person in, in deep depression because his dad died when he was 17. This is a person who's tired of running, tired of hiding, tired of hidden addictions. This is a person whose world isn't working. And so when, they, when, when they're offered this, they're in. And, and, you know, for some of us, then we go, oh, man, that's a problem because I'm not broken. And if that's the case, my response to you is, don't worry. You don't have to go looking for brokenness. Brokenness will find you. And the day will come when, when you will be, you know, face to face with the reality that in spite of all our planning, all our saving, 
all our dreaming, all of our vitamins, all of our health care, all of our work on sexual intimacy, in spite of everything, bam, something happened and we're shaking to the core. Good news. Because embedded in that loss is an invitation and you'll want to be at the table. Embedded in that loss is kind of the reality of the hypothermia of your soul and you're going to want to come in from the cold. And when you do, here's what awaits you. And let's leave that up. <laughs> because, because for me, anyway, in the HUD experience, embedded, I mean, that is not a whopper. Do you understand? <laughs> embedded in that one picture is uh, conversation and, and fellowship and laughter and peeling away layers of, you know, ego posturing. And people talking about the joy of their hike, the fear on their hike, their families back home. Just off the top of my head, back home in Toronto, back home in Tokyo, back home in Saudi Arabia, in huts together, because what, what do we all love? Steep stuff and hot food. It's a, it's a picture of the kingdom. And the hut's there waiting. RSVP, respond, see the play. What does it mean to come to Christ? It means to come to Christ at the table, as we'll do in a minute here. This is your, like the precursor, this is the invitation to the banquet. And well, you know, when you receive Christ here, then you leave here and you realize, oh, Christ has invited me to worship uh, in, as, I, as I walk through creation as well. Every dandelion, every, every flower, every bee pollinating, every bald eagle flying above Green Lake, all of it, not just beautiful, but ecologically interdependent so that we're the beneficiaries and, and as they are beneficiaries from us. Interdependency. And you begin, you know, as you continue to grow in this feast, you begin to see that Christ is in community as well, right? In, 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 in fellowship, and in sharing meals together. And as you really begin to grow, then you see, Christ, oh, Christ is in the least of these. Christ is in every human. And it becomes just a delight to be at God's table feasting. But watch this. I can't come to the table and stay in that other kingdom. I can't. So this morning, I'm not going to invite you to just come to the table. I'm going to invite you this morning to consciously leave anything that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that has a grip on your soul. Like if you've got a, you know, a hidden addiction or fear or, you know, boredom or worry or a material pursuit or a sexual thing that you're hanging on to, you know, you're invited, but I, but I can't, I can't be outside and inside at the same time. I have to leave the kingdoms of this world behind to feast on Christ. So don't just come to the table this morning, but come leaving in order that you might fully receive. RSVP, you're invited. Father, meet us now at your table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed after he had taken the bread and broken it, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body, broken for you. I, Christ, am satisfaction when you're hungry, hungry for meaning, hungry for healing, hungry for freedom from addiction, Hungry for wisdom to make your way in this insane world. I'm, hey, come and eat. 
but leave that kingdom because this is the feast. And then he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you and many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink all of it, every, every drop. Because you're made to live in a confidence that the one who made you is in no way mad. Not waiting, not, you know, making a list and checking it twice like Santa Claus or something. But one who just says, hey, the table's ready. All I want, all I want is for you to come in. Come in from the cold, right? So come, but don't just bring your stuff here. Leave it in the pew and come symbolically, right? And receive all that he has. Father, would you meet us now in these moments as we worship by partaking of what you have so freely given. In Christ's name we pray.